Hey, my name is Davin Sturdivant, and this is episode 21 of the Cart Pulse podcast. This is part two of our interview with Terrence Dove, who is a cart coach and the author of the book, Learn How to Master the Art of Cart Driving. Um, the call I had with Terrence was so long, he was awesome enough to have us break it into two. So we spent a little bit more time here talking about driver coaching and a little bit about the mindset of the driver. Um, we spent a little bit of time talking about Alonzo and the Indy 500 and who likes pineapple on pizza and a few other fun things. So let's just jump into it. I have another question for you. It's a coaching question. It was something I wanted to cover earlier, but we're here now. Um, when you approach a, a new person or just approach a session with somebody, um, Monroe Jordan asked this actually yeah. on the forum. So I actually want to read it the way that he, he, he wrote it. He said, how do you approach a coaching session with someone? Do you schedule out the day or go with the flow? I know every session is tailored for each individual, but what kind of mindset do you have approaching each day you coach? Right. Um I guess the most important thing is the mindset is always I'm going there to find out what this driver is really good at and then we're going to exploit that. Um, And in that process, we might find stuff that they need to work on as well. But the, the most important thing is I'm not looking for what's wrong with a driver first. I'm looking for what's right. Um, So the actual way it usually happens is and I don't do that many coaching days now. I'd spend most of my time having a conversation like this. <laughs> but if I'm at the track, the first thing is well, we have a chat. We'll do a track walk, which is not really a track walk. It's just having a chat while we're walking around. And my for my way of doing a track walk is I ask them to show me the secrets, that what they do, where they, the little tricks they have. Um then the first session, I don't tell them anything. I stand, I watch, I make notes. And I'm looking for the little hidden gems, stuff that they do that maybe they don't know about. That I want to say, look, man, what you did there, it could be quite often it's something like they have really, really unusually smooth steering inputs. Mm-hmm. And once they start trying to go quicker, they might go a bit less smooth so i'd say right the way you drive when you're just chilled that smooth steering we need to keep that let's understand why that's good um and usually the reaction i get is they're kind of like a what huh (laughs) said what i'm good it's 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 a bit odd for them because um so that kind of sweeps the carpet pull the carpet from under them in, in a way that I've surprised them by focusing on what they're actually good at rather than saying, right, okay, now you, the reason you're not fast enough is because you don't brake correctly or you're sitting too far forward or whatever. Um, Because, and it's not like a mind trick. It's a genuine, I want to know what you're good at because we're working with you. I'm not trying to break you and make you do things my way. Let's find what you're good at. We develop your style. What is your style? What do you want? How do you, who do you look up to? Who's your favorite driver? What do you like about them? Um, that's a good question. That's always a good question. Yeah, and that, that's how it starts. That's how our coaching day starts. Is like, what do you want to do? How do you want to drive? Um, now, then I maybe look for what they're doing that they're not aware of that's going against what they want. 
um, could be breaking breaking something that comes up all the time. Um, sometimes they have no idea. So quite often people who have driven on the road for five years trying to drive a car cannot even imagine that hitting the brake hard. Right. Immediately. The moment you decide I'm off the gas and I hit the brake, that moment's where you brake the hardest. So a lot of people is like, what, crazy. Yeah. And they'll have read my stuff um, from 15 years ago and it's all there, but mm-hmm. they still, they're tentative. So that's, that's a common thing, working on that. I still struggle with braking, and I mean, I've got stories of bad braking. Actually, somewhere on my blog, I have a, of a, an article that I wrote of how to brake badly, yeah. and it's a video of me braking really lightly and like you know, kind of wobbling <laughs> in the corner, and then I cut to Lex Luthor from Superman Returns going wrong. <laughs> right, just it's just kind of one of those. But did you see what I keep doing though? Is yeah. I will say, brake hard this way, do this, and then if you said that. So if I was working with you at a track and you were braking quite light, I I might say, look, let's figure out the route for you to brake that way that makes you quick. Because there are guys Mm -hmm. who don't get anywhere near locking up who will win at the highest level of karting. So I, I, I go on about braking all the time. But that's what I, that's what I like about your book. Right. And like, um, this is a good example because even in your book, you talked about two different forms of braking. You talked about hard lockup braking, and then you talked about like near lockup braking, where you never lock up and you have to be super sensitive to do yeah. it, right? And for me, I'm the latter, yeah. right? I rarely lock the brake, right? Yeah. Normally, if I end up locking the brake, it's because I've just dove for it and I'm hitting it too hard, yeah. right? Because um, I always roll into it. But the point I'm getting at is that like it was relieving to not just get one way. Yeah. Because I was I was afraid I was going to read through the book and be told wrong wrong wrong. This is why you suck. This is why you suck. <laughs> and you don't get that right. Yeah. Like as you're going through half the time, I'm like, you know what? I break the second way. I'm going to work on refining that because I'm 90% of the way there. I've driven that way for years, and I like to drive that way, and it's been pretty quick. So yeah. I'm going to figure out how to make that work rather than completely renovating my style. Yeah. Where in other places, I'm like, shit, I've been trying to do that for freaking years, yeah. and I'm going to do it this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, that's that's the part that I liked about your book was that you know it, it, it let the driver be more of a stylist. It wasn't just like – you either drive like Alonzo or get the hell out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a lot of books are like that. They're like, you either drive like center or you go yeah. home. And so it's, it, it was impossible for the people who have a different driving style to really acclimate because like for me, I don't, I don't have a lot of aggressive inputs. Right. Yeah. I try to be very smooth. Yeah. Like Jensen Button was always my guy. Yeah. Like when I first started racing, he was the guy that I always wanted to emulate. Yeah. So I try to have very little steering inputs and I'm light on a lot of the pedals and da, 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 da. Right. So when someone tries to get me to drive aggressive and really hard on top of the wheel, it's it's a train wreck. It's awful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I just don't innately have that unless like the cart just won't turn or I'm pissed off. Right. Well, you, and that's, then that's that's really important because, um, and I learned this from working with different drivers is that there's things in technique that work, but what comes before technique is the motivation of the driver. So your example there is I'm a kind of Jensen Button type driver. Um, I want to be precise. I want to kind of take care of the car and make it quick. Right. Then someone comes along and says, <clears throat> no, man, you've got to hustle. Well, there might be a valid 
point, but it's missing the question: Why does Davin drive? Why do you do this? And the reason, part drivers tend to be quite determined to prove to the world, I'm right, man. My way works, <laughs> and that's the motivator. Because racing's yeah. hard. You need yeah. motivation is one of the core things, and the motivation to to show yeah. my way works, man. So my job is to help you make your way work. And I've seen enough styles work to believe that anything can work. Even the thing like, um, oh, this is sacrilege, what I'm going to say now, because <laughs> it goes against stuff I would say, is seat position. Um, so the norm and the, the generally successful way is you have the seat quite reclined, you lock your arms out a bit, push against the wheel, push yourself into the seat. That's all cool. That, that does work, and it's worked for years and years. And if you look back at Hamilton before he went into Europe and his kind of junior ICA days, his cadet days driving in the UK, he's kind of got his seat upright. Right. Um, and he made it work. Now, I imagine yeah. he said, that's how I want my seat, man. And there must have been people saying, no, no, no. It's wrong. And he's, no, man, put my seat where I want. And I think uh, Dino Chiesa must have talked him out of it. Mm. However, and it may have been better to have the seat back, but if he made it work, he made it work. And he learned something you, important. I'm, I'm so glad he brought that up because my, my roommate races shifters. And him and I have had almost a religious discussion around seat position mm -hmm. for like six years. Yeah. Right. Because um, my seat has moved gradually farther and farther back. Yeah. Um, I'm a taller guy. I found that getting the weight over the rear really helped me. Um, that was better feeding for me. Um, and But when I first started karting, and like you can see it, especially like when I started doing rentals and on my first competition kart, my seat was really far forward. Um, and so partly it was because people were shorter than me and I didn't know that I could move my seat as a tuning tool. So I just assumed that all carts were light yep. in the rear and I just learned to have, you know, quick hands because the cart was always mm -hmm. really jumpy. Right. And then I started working with my buddy Jason and he put my seat back and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I've had arguments with friends for years, whether <laughs> I was sitting far enough back or my seat was too far back or whatever. And so I've kind of converted to my seat back. Yeah. However, Whenever, whenever Scott and I have this argument, I'll take the seat forward argument just because he's so religiously yeah, stuck man. on seat yeah, back, yeah. right? Just, just for the sake of argument, and you're right. Um, but I have a question for you about seat position because we've we've talked about this, and I want to know what you think. I know we weren't going to talk about this carding setup, but this kind of aligns. So, I have this theory about seat position that I know that there are factory settings and i know that where the driver puts himself is key to the balance of the go-kart i fundamentally understand that and i and i know that the seat's not supposed to really be a comfort thing it's mm -hmm. supposed to be a tuning thing that's what all doctrine says but i've always kind of had this mindset that to a small small degree if i can get the driver to be a little more comfortable they'll drive the cart better than if I put them in an uncomfortable position that might be ideal yeah. because the paper says so. Because it's all psychological. Yeah. In their head, if the seat is farther, like a, just maybe a couple millimeters farther back from the factory setting and they feel more comfortable in the cart, they'll hustle it through the corner where if I leave the seat in the factory position and they're telling me it's too light, it's too light, it's too light, they won't do it no matter what OTK says. Yeah. Now, I've been shouted at 
like been told you're wrong put it in the factory position never freaking touch it they put it there for a reason but i've always thought that like okay i'm i'm 511 and 200 pounds yeah so where the weight and the cart sits is going to be different than the guy next to me who's 5'4 and 140 yeah right so the like numbers yeah. <laughs> and then also there's cart balance i know that sometimes sitting farther back for me makes me psychologically drive the cart better because i just feel that it does yeah. and so i just do yeah i totally what totally buy think? into that like well my freebie guide thing the ebook is from 2004 and i the easiest thing to do is find out where the seat should be put it there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then adjust everything else but right is it ain't necessarily so move move your seat and even like just to find out what happens put the seat forward if you're more comfortable do it find out put it back further do it learn nobody i'll probably get flamed for this but i i've never heard (laughs) anyone give me really convincing theoretical models for how a cut really works and then back it up because they're Thank black you. magic man they Thank do you. not everything everything you apart from gearing maybe tire pressures i think every little adjustment you make affects everything else because there's right. no give there's no damper so play with it understand your cart move your stuff that is like that is like ten years of validation, and like even though it was kind of I told you so with an asterisk, I'm still taking it. So that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe that's why I say to people I really don't know when it come, when they ask me about cart setup, I I just don't know, and mainly that's because I don't think anybody does other than what they've tried on their that works. cart, and there yeah, are guys so there like. are guys who seem to have an instinct for it. So they yeah. don't know why, but they'll say, or the, the theory, the explanation they give quite often, often in terms of physics, complete nonsense. But they'll say, <laughs> right, you need to do this. You need to loosen the right. floor tray. You need to put a different axle in, with different hubs, and I'm going to take a seat stay off. And it works, man. And so they... Right, and the cart's fast. Yeah, they're yeah. magicians, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. None of them are like genius engineers <laughs> they just really really they they can kind of smell it in the air or whatever yeah 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 and of course there's people who changes you can change the setup on a car put the driver back out and the tracks got quicker now if right. i changed that setup yep. i'd say that's my setup man track did not get quicker yeah that's yep. me <laughs> i do that that's I'd correct say, yeah, too, yeah. right i say yes yeah, yeah i told you to hold the wheel higher <laughs> now look. yeah yeah see you're faster yeah. now i'll yeah. take my money thanks. yeah sure. yeah oh, oh, no totally, totally 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 oh my god this is amazing you know i could go on on this for forever um i got a couple non-carding questions for you though so it's uh, the weekend of the monaco grand prix and the indy 500 but i really want to talk about the indy 500 because alonzo and stuff yeah um we've been watching this all month and you and i've been talking on facebook about this all month i've got two questions for you one, why do you think Alonzo's doing so well? And then two, who do you think is going to win the Indy 500? Oh. Right, so why is Alonzo doing so well? I think um, I only learned this recently. 
and I, I think I like Instagrammed about it. Um, he seems to be a machine. Uh-huh. Like, so guys like that, here's what I don't get. I, I, I think the same about Rossi in motorbikes is they've achieved everything. They have got money coming out of their ears. Um, probably everything they a regular person could ever want. Yet, um, the McLaren team guy said, on the flight to Indianapolis, Alonso watched a complete onboard of the Indy 500 mm-hmm. and studied it. A whole Indy 500. That's Alonso. Isn't he bored of this stuff? Doesn't he think, I oh, know it all, man. No, man, he's, he's looking for stuff and he's learning. He's watching all the gauges. He's watching the hand inputs. He's listening to the engine. And he's learning something about what the car does on lap 85 with certain fuel load. Um, maybe the driver made a correction. Maybe the driver went in on an early line and the car pushed. Or He's just looking for that stuff. He's a detail monster. To have the motivation to do that. I, I can't remember how many complete Indy 500s he watched. The guy said it was like 15. On board. Yeah. It was a, he's not yeah, even watching the yeah. race. He's not getting any, oh, that was cool. This guy's catching this guy. He's just watching the onboard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alonso. Alonso thinks I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. That's, I think, yeah. part of why he's so good, on top of him being freakishly good at driving. You know, and the, the funny thing also I will tie into Alonzo is I have this story that I tell with Alonzo and most Formula One drivers often, but Alonzo's the one that I remember the most. Um, it, it goes back to the thing we were talking about, about winning yeah. and how there can only be one winner and you don't always win. Yeah. So, you know, I know we always try to go to the track and we try to win all the time and we're not going to always win. And I always tell people, you know, Alonzo has a 15% win rate, win rate yeah. when it comes to just Grand Prix. Yeah. Right. And he's known as like one of the greatest of at least the current generation. And I'll, I'll keep it to that because any more than that, and I'm just going to get stabbed. Yeah. So we'll just say for the current era that people say that he's one of the greatest. Yeah. Right. And he's only won 15 percent of the time. And it's Alonzo. Yeah. Right. So you are not going to win all the time. And that is OK. And you will have amazing drives that will go from like 12th to 9th or, you know, 7th to 2nd or, you know, last to 10th. That will be like. God has graced you and you have not won the race, but you did really well. So please hold on to that. Right. Because some of my best drives have never been winning races. You know, I, I screwed myself in qualifying or I did something dumb and I'm in the back and I went from, you know, the winners only took up one or two spaces and I took up 15. So like, yeah. Right. And, um, I've seen a guy dress down a Red Bull driver, one of their development drivers, uh, because he didn't, he didn't get the result he wanted, and so he didn't go to dinner with the team. Right? Mm. I thought that was pretty innocuous. <laughs> this yeah, this guy yeah, yeah. went to town on him. The same, what you've explained that. Yeah. If you're a racing driver and you can't handle losing, you've got to face the fact that no matter how good you are, you will lose the majority of races, even if you win forty nine percent of them. So you've got to learn how to handle that and you've got to look after your people um, and be the be the magnanimous guy who they all look up to and go, man, we'll do anything for that guy. 
he's had a bad day he's come down he's you know he's looking after us he's putting an arm around us um, right 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 on the flip side here we go again this is me saying it's it's not all straight <laughs> i really really like drivers who throw their dolls out of the pram they spit yeah. the dummy yeah. the pacifier i think you would call it yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like when i found out tea was food like yeah dinner. yeah well, that's like, a i thought tea was nightmare. that is ridiculous that is yeah, oh my god I'll concede that. Uh, it I literally almost just started another international conflict <laughs> because it's like, I'm going for tea, and then I find out he's eating hamburgers, and I'm like, you fucking liar. I thought you were all sophisticated drinking tea. That's not a beverage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Tea time okay, could, mean any, could mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, it's such a trap. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I love drivers who, if they don't win, they go mad because yeah. I know racing's tough. Um, and if you don't have that passion, right. it's hard to get through as well. So it's kind of yeah. a, I can argue it both ways. Double-edged sword is really what we call it, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, you want them to keep that passion and, and kind of channel it. But when, when they're young and they're like a kart racer, really, really kicking off after a race, tears and, storming off i'm always really encouraged by um and quite often i'm asked to help them stop doing that and i'm saying well man that's the that's the force that's gonna keep them going and that's what that's what's gonna drag you to the track and pay for the racing that's usually to the parents and i think i think it's a lot about being able to manage it right because you want to be able to show that you're passionate about what you're doing it's not that you don't care that you didn't win it's not that you don't care that you finished fifth right you do care like you wanted to win okay so that this is like why we came today right but at the same time you know we are also doing a luxury activity Mm. and you know a whole bunch of people are coming and sometimes it's just your dad and that's a huge thing but you know it could be your dad or your entire team or whatever to come to help you get into a cart and drive around a paved surface Mm. yeah so like for those people who don't have houses or places to like have food or live or anything like this is just a like a luxury novelty oh man we we find first world problem don't we right yeah we we are on the cutting edge of first world problems oh my god you know and it's funny it's super funny because i i remember once going to the grocery store and then i was i was i was thinking about carting and I was trying to get a chassis, and I couldn't get the new chassis that I wanted, and I was just fucking pissed with myself. And I'm in the grocery line, and the checker asked me, she's like, how's your day? And at first, I'm like, I got this really scout look on my face, and I'm going, I'm really upset. (laughs) And she's like, why? And I start to say, I can't get the go-kart I want. (laughs) And I'm looking at food, and I'm like, no, everything's fine, actually. I'm having a great day. Like. Yeah, am I for real right now? Like, life is fine. Life is great. I will take my sandwiches and be on my way. <laughs> bye. 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 I was I was literally just like, what is going on here? But still, it's like, it's partly because, you know, because we have the opportunity to be involved in a passion yeah. that we sh- can take it so seriously. Yeah. Right? And and that's, I think, where you find the balance. It's important yeah. um, because yeah. there's there's kids out there who are in a position where poverty is the rule in their life, but mm-hmm. they can look at guys on racing on TV or they can go online now and see kids doing this cool activity. And at least they can say, right, man, 
that looks cool. Maybe I want to try and do that. And then maybe they can research and get into understanding themselves and, and, and having a goal. And, you know, having inspiring people to look up to. I right. think that's as valuable as anything else anyone does. Well, and that's why that's why I like the sport of karting because, like, you know, you can watch all the F one races you want, and you're not doing it. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm just I'm not trying to break anyone's heart, but like for 99.9 percent of the people who watch F one, they're never gonna do it. They're never gonna touch it. Like, just not gonna happen. And so the gap is too big, and then they get sad, and life is terrible. Right? <laughs> First world problem, but life is still terrible. <laughs> but with karting, I mean, it was like with myself. I didn't come from a racing background. My parents, like, the car has four wheels and it gets us to work, and that's it, right? So I would watch people racing, and I'd go, that's just something I'll never be able to do. Until I saw karting, and then I was like, one day I will find a way to do that. Because I see people that are going to be my age that are doing it, right? I see the Lammers of the world. I see the Yurkers of the world. I see those guys that are like, they're in their 30s and 40s and stuff, and they're racing go-karts. That means when I I can align my life to go in that direction, so at the least when I get to that area, I can do that. Yeah. And this looks freaking awesome. And karting, the the advantage karting has, which I think karting as an organization based, you know, the FIA's take on it, they're trying to mm-hmm. put karting into its place in their mm-hmm. eyes below car racing. But mm-hmm. they're really missing the point. Karting, as we, you know, saying that F1 drivers can't really cut it in KZ. KZ. Right. I'll translate that for you. Um, <laughs> I'm shaking my fist over here. <laughs> <laughs> you used the right alphabet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Karting is its own thing, and the, there is a problem where it's in this graduation. It's been put so you do karting and then you do F4. Well, really, um, karting is better when there are professional-level adults in the top level of karting for, mm, to for kids who are on their way to have to beat mm-hmm. and prove themselves. So it still serves the purpose of if you want to be a racing driver, you've got to go and beat this 28-year-old guy who is the best. Mm-hmm. That's kind of died that in single gear carts. Um, and that is a problem, I think. Because I think yeah, karting is a... To me, it, because it's, it's a cliche, it's a karting cliche, the purest form of motorsport, but it really is. It's just... Yeah. If you want the least number of interference between your driver and the road a cart supplies that yes so Amen. that's where you find it, out what driving is well and it's funny because um i james and i went to a motorsport expo uh this year and i guess it was last year and we were having this conversation about karting and why there weren't so many carts on the floor and we were by a formula four ironically so it's funny that you bring this up and i went you know it's funny my cart can carry more G-load mm. than this $170,000 race yeah. car. And with this $170,000 race car, if I bought it at 30, people would look at you and be like, why did you spend your money on yeah. that? 
That car is for 14 to 18 <laughs> yeah. year olds. It's Formula Four. Yeah. And then you almost like have like a stroke trying to justify the balance because you'd go, anything else that I bought that was $170,000? Like if I bought a Porsche 911 or something, people would be like, oh yeah, yeah man, you bought a Porsche. Like, yeah, you're, you're respect, yeah. you know, fist bump. Yeah. But then I spend the same money on a racing car and they're like, you fucking idiot. Yeah. Why'd you spend your money on it's that? Tough. And you're like, what? Okay. So apparently karting's for adults and formula cars for kids now. Okay, great. Like <laughs> it's really weird. And I guess I, it is weird. Yeah, it is really weird. It's really weird, right? And and you know, it's not even to say anything against it. It's just odd because you look at like F3 cars and you look at all these other things cuz that was my, that was my dream when I was in college. Like I, I jokingly tell my friends that like, you know, I I am not where I imagined myself to be when I was a younger kid. Like, you know, I assumed that I'd be driving F3 cars and doing all this fun stuff by the time I got to 30 and then, you know, I get to 30 and I look back on my life and I'm like First of all, money. Second of all, I had to be like twelve to get into this car. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, but when I my, to bring it all back, when I got into karting, all of those needs went away. Yeah. yeah. And like it just all went away. I was just like this. This is what I need to be driving. And the opportunities I've had to jump into cars after yep. have been boring. Yeah. Like to be frank, I've been bored. Yeah. Where, you know, it was super hyped up and it was amazing to drive this, you know, BMW or amazing to drive this Alpha. And, like, you know, I appreciate the opportunities of the people who have let me drive their cars. And I love driving, so I'm never going to turn down a drive in a race car. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going down the straight in fifth gear at 120, like, bored. Yeah. Going, God, when do we get to the brakes? Yeah. How long is this thing going to be breaking? Oh, oh my God. Three gears? Jesus Christ. Because in my cart, I'd fly down in the corner, hit the brakes, turn, be out the corner before we even... Yeah. You know, yeah. done with and the cart delivers right. feedback like nothing else. Oh yeah, it's just yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sensory overload. Yeah, I'm impatient, right? So for me, it's perfect because it's like if it's working, I know immediately. If it's not working, I know immediately, right? And I don't have to sit here being like, I don't think it's turning. I think I'm understeering it. <laughs> the if you want to experience the thing that really hooked me into being a cart preacher. Um, is that so modern carts are great but they've got more stuff added to them than a cart from the 90s or 80s you've got to try one okay because um, there's no balance gears so you feel the engine Mm. the noise is ridiculous (laughs) and if you don't have the bodywork so you, 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 you feel like your feet are hanging off the edge yeah. And the added thing is the engine, you're kind of playing with fire the whole time. So if you really want to push one, you have to get the jet in just so. If you go, mm. if you get too greedy, it will seize. And when it seizes, it's a crash. Right. So that little added extra, when you're going down the straight, you look at your rev counter, which I didn't have in the old days. I'm, I'm a pre, pre-rev counter. So you, you just listen for the engine. But you always had in the back of your mind, this engine's running perfect, man. Therefore, it could seize. Right? So you've got this thing. <laughs> yeah. and, you, yep. and they pull until the end of the straight. The braking zone's getting closer and you're accelerating. And thinking, is this thing going to is this engine going to pop now? And you're hearing 20,000 revs that just that period at the end of a straight where everything can go right and everything can go wrong. 
uh, is the magic of those cards, which is is right. kind of missing now. Um, they were so simple, so pure, and mm-hmm. delivered total immersion. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Now you have you know clutches and everything that can you know separate everything if it breaks and da-da-da-da-da. yeah yeah the kind yeah, of luxury items yeah. that are fitted to a cart to help you have convenience. Yeah, uh, yeah, starter. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. If you if you get just, I'm sure James will sort you out of running a hundred. Hmm, that actually would be a good idea. That's actually a really good idea. Now, see, now he's going to hear this and he's going to call me. He's going to be hiding his engine saying, no, man, I, yeah, I haven't got anything that you can use. <laughs> Actually, no, James will probably be the opposite. He'll probably, like, my phone will ring and be like, get on a plane, <laughs> show up here with your will and your testament, and I've got this 100cc for you, and tell your girlfriend you love her and go drive this. Yeah, car. but the thing okay. is, right, I, I kind of hype them in that sense, but I rarely seized an engine. When I did, it was like yeah. a disaster. See, the thing is for me is that I'm I'm the opposite. I I I I, I know how to break oh, engines. Like, get, just, do it, man. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> like it's to me now, and I'm not even lying. It's to me now that I can break a motor, and I I don't even get emotional about it. It's just yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's, that's the other yeah. aspect, the emotional right. Yeah. yeah. When in, when you've got a tuned hundred cc engine, you know that the little tiny little thing behind your right elbow is giving everything it can to the point that it's about to die and it's going to die mm-hmm. for you so you you learn mm-hmm. to love these engines mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so it gives that extra little bit and you kind of say give me more give me more and you kill it yeah right <laughs> so then you feel bad so that's an extra dimension <laughs> you have to you have to look after it and you have to exploit it then you have to choke it down a bit and apologize <laughs> It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. That's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh my god, Diane, that's amazing. Okay, so I, I have two questions. One's actually a follow up on the Indy 500 question I asked you, and then one has absolutely nothing to do with karting at all. So the first one is the Indy 500 this weekend. Who do you think is going to win? Um, hmm. Kind of hope it'll be Alonso. It mm. could be Alonso. So the thing is, is that this will come out after Indy's over. So either we're oh, going to seem like prophetic geniuses, you're going to seem like a genius, or it's just going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, you don't know what you're talking about, dude. Like, <laughs> that'll just, never happen. such a cool story. Right? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Alonzo's my second choice. Well, technically, actually, he's my third choice. Um, I want to see either Pagano or Newgarden mm-hmm. win. Because I like them both. And I had an emotional crisis when Newgarden went to Penske. Because now two of my favorite drivers are on the same team. So I have a hard time being like, go, oh, no, not the other one. Go, oh, damn it. Right? So, like, this is hard. Um, So I want to see either of them win. Because I love both those guys. But then, just because I really do like Formula 1, I want to see Alonzo win. Because it would be, like, the perfect end of the story. Yeah, it's a a cool tie-in. Yeah. As long as he doesn't just, just destroy it. But the thing is, the Indy 500 yeah. is a bit of a lottery, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's it kind is. Of... Yeah, I mean, Rossi won, Rossi won on fuel, and it was almost, uh, I don't want to say it was Chavez last year, because Andretti ended up, ended up coming in runner-up. But I, oh, I, my, my brain says Gabby Chavez, but I know that's not right. Um, there was another guy that 
was basically going to win on straight out power and was like catching Rossi on the final lap, just roaring up to him. And just, you know, he just happened to cross the line before he got there. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Or it was just kind of like the roll of the die and how it worked out that Rossi won. And I, I love myself when Rossi wins. I was super stoked about it. But like, you're right. It is a bit of a lottery. Like the only thing, like you say, I don't want to see happen is I don't want to see him smash up the car because then a bunch of people are going to go see. I told you it was too dangerous. Yeah. See? I mean, he did. He, he had and that just, moment, didn't he? Um, I think it was one of it might have been the qualifying run or practice runs where he really oh where he just touched the wall yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You think, and you're like that car would have been able man is yeah. he is he is he showing this enough respect but he obviously god he's, he, he is Alonso yeah he's Alonso man he's, he's yeah, yeah, yeah I think actually on the subject of Alonso for a guy to look at and say how how should you handle yourself outside mm. the car I think he's like phenomenal example of totally. natural on the camera he can say controversial stuff but not be kind of offensive yeah. gets away with murder really yeah some of the stuff yeah but he I does mean, it in a kind of sensitive many, way that's not too bad how many times how many times has he dragged his own manufacturer through the mud mm. about the fact that their engines don't run or that they've blown up or that he's had to take an engine out of the car and i'm like anybody else would have gotten fired yeah. Like, if Hamilton had said that, he'd be fired. Like, it just fired, yeah. right? I mean, he even said it for um, Indy 500 qualifying. They had to change his engine before because um, they had an oil leak. Yeah, and he literally just said that. He's like, I, I am used to having to switch out Honda engines before races. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay, well, so um, is everyone okay with that? Because, like, anyone else would be fired yeah, right yeah. now. Oh, it's Alonzo? Yeah. All right, we're good. Yeah. We're fine. That's fine. He somehow delivers, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and the, the other thing about Alonzo, before we jump on to my last question, is, you know, you see him in, in traffic, right? And he's got a, got his Alonzo flair like he's driving an F1 car at 230 miles an hour between four cars. And so there's that part of you that's like, either he's really got a handle on this, or this shit's going to go sideways super fast, and it's going to be terrible. But I, I'm leaning on the former. Yeah. Cause Alonzo, yeah. you know, he just doesn't seem like the sort of like he seems like the sort of person like you say. He lives and breathes the stuff. He's got more money than anything. He's done all the homework. He's been on the simulator more than anyone else. You know, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. It's not just like he just showed up and said, "I'm Alonzo." Where's Indianapolis again? Yeah. And he's he's still right? got the the hunger to to beat to yeah. beat guys to tenth position. I think that's really oh, interesting. Like, that. Oh yeah, I mean especially like um. So, again, I, I'm a Jensen Button fan. So, when they put... Uh, and, and, frankly, I'm a Closet McLaren fan. And I only say Closet because since 2013, it's been a horrible existence to be a McLaren fan. But, um, you know, watching Alonzo and Button drag those cars into positions that they shouldn't be in was almost more fun. Yeah, you need that part. And then they had a good car. Yeah, you know, because you, you watch Alonzo fight someone for fifth place, or watch him fight someone for tenth place even, and you're like, dude, he is going for this. Yeah. Like, oh my god, yeah. right? And yeah, it's only one point, and like, whatever, but it's back to what we were talking about earlier, right? You're either a racer or you're not. Yeah. And so, he's fighting, right? He's racing. It's not just like, well, I'm, I'm in tenth, so I'm not even going to try. There's a very and, interesting yeah. dimension to what happens when you put someone who's won everything into a team where the team's not delivering that same performance happens in cars with Alonso happened with Schumacher happened in bikes with Rossi when he did the Ducati Ducati thing. Yeah. Now <laughs> what I've really latched onto and I, I show the drivers videos of um, the most obvious example is Schumacher when he squeezed Barrichello 
Hungary, I think it was Hungary. Yeah, it was Hungary. Yeah, 2020. And he, he, everyone was like, oh my God, how could he do this? And it's not even for, what I think these guys do is they say, while I'm not um, getting results, I'm still going to use this time in case I need to deal with this guy in the future and psychologically dominate him. I'm going to do some damage Mm -hmm. now because this is going to pay off. So Rossi would be uh, just savage for for what seems to be no reason. And Schumacher doing that to Barrichello seemed to be senseless ego, but it serves a purpose, man. So Alonso beating up a guy for 10th place Mm -hmm. might be an ego trip, but also if that guy is in the top car, same year Alonso's in the top car in the future, that little tussle, Mm -hmm. that little dominance thing might pay off yeah i'm yeah, sure yeah. i'm Remember sure they're doing that. yeah 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 totally. you might you yeah, might totally. think oh, i'm in a bad car now i'm still going to treat you as my inferior yeah very much that. let's very see much. how that plays out good point okay final question because i want to make sure I respect your time nothing to do with carding at all okay so my the question i was just going to ask you is um pineapple and pizza do you like pineapple and pizza yeah you do Thank you, because you're not crazy. That's right, because you're not crazy. Uh, but this is going to freak you out, man. This is going to this is going to kill you. I don't eat cheese. I don't eat any animal stuff. So pineapple, fine. Cheese, no. Get your head around. Okay, that. now you're weird again. Now you're weird yeah. again. Now, now see, see I now say it's everything's got a flip yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> See, now, though, if I ever come to the UK, it might cause an international incident because I'm going to be like, here's this fruit, you weird, weird man here. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, man. It'll be like a Dario Franchitti thing. Or is it Dario Franchitti that was pineapple? No, it was Zanardi that was pineapple. Right? I'll give you a pineapple. Yeah, man. And then it's kind of one of those. Yeah. There you go. Cool. You're right. Cool, cool. So that's part two with our interview with Terrence Dove. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, Terrence has been giving away a copy of his book, Learn How to Master the Art of Cart Driving, to members of the Cart Force forums who ask questions prior to the interview. And the second copy of the book is going to Russell Bruis. So, Russell, I'll reach out to you separately and make sure to get your address. Um, If you're interested to get a copy of Terrence's book, there is a link on Amazon, which I'll include in the description. Um, And if you want to know more about Cart Pulse or what's going on about the Cart Pulse forums, check us out at forums.cartpulse.com or find us on Facebook at Cartpulse. Talk to you soon.